This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everybody, it's Lon Seidman, and it's time for your weekly wrap-up. And I want to begin, as we always do, by thanking our newest Patreon supporters. We have Stan Whitney, Greg Kelway, and Benedict Zeiss, who all gave to the Patreon this week. I want to thank them and everyone who's been contributing to the channel, as well as everyone who watches and subscribes, like all of you do, uh, because all of those things lead to channel growth. And we had a really good week this week, in fact, because... Uh, We crossed the 40 million view threshold last week, and we also crossed 140,000 subscribers this week as well. So uh, really good progress here on channel growth, and I want to thank everyone for your continued support of the channel. We had a very good week this week uh, because of all the stuff that came in that we looked at. A lot of it came in unexpectedly, and I'll talk about that in a second. But first, we have our ad position. This is another non-ad, an affiliate link, if you will, because I'm trying to find some advertisers to come into the wrap-up here just in this spot every week. But I'm going to talk again about Blue Apron, which I am subscribed to and paying for. And this is an affiliate link down below. So if you sign up, uh, we get a small commission for your signing up to the service. They give you some free meals to start. And uh, this week, I'll be having some seared steak and fingerling potatoes, spicy pork and rice bowls, and Mexican beef fajitas. So quite an assortment here this week. I'll be making all of this myself as the box comes in tomorrow afternoon. And uh, the cool thing is my wife and kids are away this week. So uh, this is enough for me to have for dinner and then enough for lunch the next day. So you get a good amount of portion size, at least for how I eat. And I've been pretty pleased with it. You can also get a four-person size if you have a uh, larger appetite than mine or you have more people to feed. But all in, I've been very pleased with this and a lot of great choices to uh, choose from every week on it. It costs about uh, $60 a week for the three-meal plan, about $10 per person. Uh, So you can uh, do fewer meals. You can have two meals a week or go up to as many as like six or seven. So you do have quite a bit of choice here. And uh, not all that expensive when you factor in the the notion here that you don't have to go to the grocery store. So that is always a good thing. So this week on the channel, we got a lot done. Here's the extras channel. I I did a a few more things with the iPad because I was getting a lot of search hits on a few of the things that I was evaluating with the new iPad. So we looked at a real size comparison of the old one versus the new one. Got almost 5,000 views on that. Uh, we also took a look at uh, the Microsoft Surface laptop when it came in. It got 2,000 views on the unboxing of that one. And, of course, the GPD Pocket did pretty well as well. And uh, we also unboxed the Jumper EasyBook 3 Pro laptop that cost about two or 300 bucks. And we'll be uh, taking a look at that a little later on the uh, main channel here. So that was the Extras channel. And then on the main channel, we took a look at a really cool little USB stick from SanDisk that... Uh, solved the problem for me and I think for many other folks who are buying laptops now with Thunder, uh, with the USB Type-C connectors on there. I'm getting it confused myself. And uh, SanDisk has this neat little uh, adapter here or little USB stick here that goes from USB-C to USB-3. So you can easily transfer stuff from your old laptops and your new ones. 
And a bunch of people wrote in saying, oh, is this, is what, this is what you get for buying a MacBook. But uh, the reality is a lot of Windows computers now will also be uh, having exclusive Thunderbolt slash USB Type-C ports on them. And uh, this is going to become the new reality in the PC industry. So it was nice to see a pretty compact device that you can use this way. Uh, some folks did point out that they've been making uh, OTG versions that had the little micro USB connector on it also. So if you have an Android phone, uh, there's a version that works with that uh, as well. So that was the SanDisk. You can see that link down below. We also got a look at the GPD Pocket, which is a, a little pocket-sized laptop. I still have it right here. Pretty cool little device here. And I did run into some trouble getting Linux to run on it. And I'm going to be uh, reaching out to GPD to see if there's some kind of update on that. I think it involves the display. I thought it might be a BIOS issue, uh, but some folks pointed out that they're taking mobile displays and then adjusting the orientation of those displays in Windows for it to work properly. And Linux is having some issues with that. So I'm going to uh, reach out to them and see if we can get uh, some more information. And we'll do a follow-up video running Linux on this in the near future. But I really like the form factor. I'm going to talk more about that when we get to the Q&A. Uh, we also looked at the iPad Pro 10.5, which came in this week. And that was my uh, plan for the big review of the week was going to be the iPad. But actually, this showed up a week or two earlier than I anticipated. And uh, also, uh, the Microsoft Surface laptop showed up earlier than I thought, too. So we had a really good traffic week because we had a lot of products that a lot of people are very interested in. Not only use subscribers, but all of the searchers who uh, came in looking for information on these products either came directly to the channel or I was showing up as a suggested video on many other uh, videos that were out there. And I don't usually do so well on Apple stuff, and this week we did really well on that. I think I've got over 20,000 views now on the iPad uh, review. So really good week overall. And I got this tweet in from my good friend, Dr. 47, who I have known uh, since my BBS days back in the early 90s. We've been communicating electronically for the last 20 years or so. Uh, he was on his Commodore 128. I was on my Apple IIgs back there. We've upgraded over the years on different platforms and computers, but uh, he found this uh, link from ifixit.com and a few other people uh, also sent this to me, uh, which says that it's a completely unrepairable glue-filled monstrosity. You can watch the full uh, tear down here at lon.tv slash iFixit surface. It'll take you right to the iFixit website. They've got some great stuff where they uh, show you how to take things apart and the tools that you need. They make their money by selling you the tools to uh, get at it. And you can see all the different tools they needed to just get into this thing. And after they got into it, uh, they realized they couldn't put it back together again because it's all glued together. So if you need repair, uh, it's going back to Microsoft, and that is about it. So you may want to consider getting a, a service contract like you would on the Apple devices because it's probably impossible to fix anything that goes wrong with it after it is done. And uh, one of the things that surprised me about this review is typically when I review a Surface device, I get a whole bunch of people who are big, passionate Surface fans writing in to tell me how every negative point I made was wrong. Uh, this time, nobody did. It seems like uh, there's not a lot of passion around this, even amongst the Surface community. And I think it might just be because it is very expensive for what it is. And if you look at uh, what I mentioned in the review, that Yoga 720 from Lenovo, that's a lot more computer for a lot less money. Uh, this one is limited not only in its Windows 10S operating system, but also by the fact it only has a single port on here, just one old USB 3 connector. So it's going to be even uh, difficult to get a decent dock for it. So not even a card reader, uh, nothing but display port and USB uh, 3 output there. But it does feel nice. I think you're paying for how nice this thing feels and, is, uh, and the build quality on it. it really is a nicely designed laptop, but uh, if anything ever goes wrong with it, you're kind of stuck because, as they said, it's a uh, glue-filled monstrosity. 
And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind. This is week 15 doing this full time. I'll be continuing my uh, little vlog of my experiences here running this as a full time occupation. And uh, last week I mentioned I started using Toggle to measure how much time I'm spending on different components of the channel as well as some of my uh, other consulting work that I do. And I took a look at what I was doing on the channel just to figure out where I was spending most of my time. And uh, not surprisingly, I'm spending a good chunk of time, about 43%, uh, doing the shooting of the videos and some of the stuff up there is kind of lumped in together. So the uploading SEO is about 4% uh, as is the admin work. Uh, my business development needs a little bit more time. Actually, I only spent about 4% this week on business development. So I need to work on that a little bit. Uh, editing was 16% uh, and product eval was 29%. That's a little skewed because I was doing the uh, Surface Book review as I was evaluating it because but I, I didn't expect to get it as quickly as I did and I had a train to catch at 2.30 p.m. So it came in around 9 uh, and it has got to work on it and I shot as I went doing my uh, product review which might be the way I start doing PC reviews here moving forward because before I was taking the computer to work with me uh, doing some of the testing and benchmarking and actually using the computer during the course of the workday of course now my workday is here so I may as well start shooting different parts of the video as I'm going and I had a slot in recording uh, in between the lawnmower guy going outside so it was really kind of a crazy day but I made the train and I got to New York City which I'll talk about in a second so uh, my next step here is to try to figure out uh, how I can make this more efficient. So we are making some progress finding, pe- finding people to help with the editing. So that is one thing I'm working on this week. And then I think when I find the perfect part-time person, a big chunk of uh, their time will be spent on some of the setup and product evaluation time because that is uh, quite a bit there. Shooting is going to be hard to make more efficient just because I shoot everything live to disc already. Uh, and also it is determined as to how well I can speak in the course of a uh, particular shooting session. But I was surprised though, because I know that shooting takes a lot of energy. I didn't realize how much time I was spending on it because I enjoy uh, actually doing the work of this channel. And the stuff that I was um, not spending all that much time on felt like it was longer because it was the things that I wasn't so crazy about, which is kind of funny. So, uh, but that's the breakdown from last week. I'm sure this will vary based on what's going on during the course of the week. This week will be a little different just because I am now two or three videos ahead because I had shot stuff, not anticipating those other two devices coming in. So I'm going to be taking this week to redo my cameras finally and uh, work on a couple of other things just to get the, the space organized. I've got about two days of runway now, so I'm going to take advantage of that uh, this week. But I thought this was really uh, interesting here. I also packed about three days of of, uh, or five days of work into about three days because I took off for the weekend as well. So it's a very busy week, but I'm glad everything worked out pretty well. And in the course of that, when I was talking about getting on the train, I was going to this Pepcom media event in New York City, and uh, they do these a couple of times a year. And I love these because I can meet with a lot of different companies all in one space. I talked about it last week, and I wanted to share with you a few of the things that I saw. There wasn't anything crazy here that I didn't see before. I was at their event in uh, Las Vegas during CES, so I saw a few of the companies I've already talked about there at this show, but there was a couple of new things worth mentioning. Uh, The first is I ran into WD, and in full disclosure, they were a prior sponsor here on the channel, and they had a a couple of new SSDs, including uh, some that will be running with a new 3D NAND technology, which allows them to pack more storage density into uh, the same size chip or smaller because it goes up versus going out. Uh, So you'll see probably slightly faster devices as well as devices that can store more for less money, and that's always a good thing. Uh, They are, of course, now running with the SanDisk brand as well, and actually these WD Blue drives are identical to the SanDisk product, but uh, they're selling them in different channels, which is why they have 
uh, decided to keep both brand names. And uh, the WDs will have the M2 devices. The SanDisks will not. Uh, but again, the technology and the performance on both of these should be about the same. I think we're going to be getting some in to test very shortly. And 3D NAND is now going to become the norm. So we're going to see this across the entire industry very shortly from different manufacturers as well. So stay tuned. We'll be uh, taking a look at that. And we also got a look at something from a company called Powercast. Now, they don't have a product just yet, but uh, we're starting to see more and more of this uh, wireless charging technology. These folks are in the industrial market where uh, you've got, you know, inventory guns and other things that uh, can charge just by being in a room somewhere near a transmitter. And now they're looking at perhaps some consumer solutions. And what they have were a couple of things on display. They had a really cool demo where uh, they had a little wand on a, uh, with a chip on the end of it. And as you moved it further away from the transmitter and back again, you can see how the power level changes. So when you're very close to the transmitter, uh, they say, I think you can get close to an amp at five volts, so pretty much the uh, speed of a phone charger. And then as you get further away, that uh, power diminishes. But if you had it built into your game controller or had a small dongle on the end of it, uh, you could put it down in the table next to the charger and you would be able to get a, a pretty decent charge overnight or something just because you're not using it. It doesn't need to charge all that quickly. And what was really neat about this is that they have it configured so that it knows when a device is charging. And then when it's done, it'll turn itself off. So it's not always uh, you know, sending out a uh, radio frequency over time. It will turn itself off for power saving based on what is uh, charging from it. So I thought it was kind of a neatly, uh, neat concept here that might be of interest down the road. I think we're going to see a lot of this kind of wireless charging technology in the near future. Uh, they were running this, I believe, at uh, eight or 900 megahertz. So it was running on some of the old cordless phone bands versus uh, what you might see on a Wi-Fi connection at 2.4 gigahertz. So it shouldn't interfere with your wireless networking technology. Uh, we also got a look at something else that was of interest. This is called the Meme, and it's a charging cable for your Android or your iPhone. But uh, what it does while it's charging is that it backs up to the cable. So inside that uh, bulge there is some flash memory, and they've got an app that will back up everything that uh, their app can get access to. So on iOS, it's the photos, the videos, the contacts, that sort of thing, your calendar. It'll back it all up, and it does it in an incremental way to the uh, device here, and it doesn't go out to the clouds. So if you wanted to have a local storage that was kind of seamless, the second this thing is plugged in, their app runs in the background, recognizes the device is connected, and does uh, its incremental backup. And then you could also uh, back up your other phones to it as well, and then uh, even have things sync together. So if you had an Android phone, you can keep the photo libraries in sync between your iPhone and your Android device. Pretty neat concept. I know people are always looking for non-cloud ways to back up their device and this one might be one way to do that. I'm going to get one of these in in a couple of weeks and maybe try it out. I also got a look at the FLIR One Pro. This is a thermal imaging camera that you attach to the back of your smartphone or the bottom of your smartphone, and it's being marketed to building contractors at a cost of about $400, but uh, the detail that this thing provides is far greater than some of the less expensive ones out there. Uh, FLIR, of course, makes some really high-end industrial gear that uh, I've actually gotten to play with in the past. We went to one of the space shuttle landings, and we had uh, someone who let us take a look at a probably a twenty or $30,000 unit, at least back then, uh, which was able to pick the shuttle out as it was landing in total darkness and actually ran at a really decent frame rate. Pretty impressive technology. It's getting more accessible now and something you can plug now into the bottom of your smartphone. And I think a lot of contractors uh, might find that of use, especially if they're trying to troubleshoot an issue. It also has a watch app, so you could have the camera pointed up in the rafter somewhere and be able to see the image on your watch to get a uh, quick view as to what's going on. It can record, of course, and do all of those things. But one thing you might notice, though, is that the frame rate doesn't seem 
getting all that quick on it. And that is because of a U.S. government restriction called ITAR, which uh, limits the export of technologies that might be used for military purposes. And they uh, have set a frame rate limitation based on that restriction. I've run into this before at different times when we were going through uh, some tours of SpaceX. They asked us not to photograph certain parts of their rocket because of those same ITAR restrictions, although I think there was probably some industrial espionage uh, reasons for them not wanting people to take pictures of their rocket nozzles as well. But uh, this is the kind of thing that you sometimes run into when I uh, do the things that I do. And that was uh, one area where uh, you're seeing some limitation of a product based on some government export restrictions. And there's yet another game console on the horizon. Actually, it's already out. Uh, This is called the SureShot HD, and it's a completely light gun based game console uh, based on Android, but it has its own store. So they're kind of taking the OUYA route here, uh, hoping that they can find some unique games to make available to people. And they're really banking on their license here of uh, Big Buck Hunter Pro, which comes bundled in with the console. You get this little shotgun uh, controller in the box. There's a kit that has two controllers available also if you want that. Instead, they are wireless. They work via Bluetooth. Pretty cool concept overall. The guns don't feel all that well put together, but it is a toy, so I think it's fine for the price point. I think it starts around 100 bucks or so. Uh, but what interested me about this is the fact that it's running Android, and I would love to see if there's an ability to jailbreak it so I can install uh, some other stuff on it, namely the MAME arcade emulator, so I can play some of my old favorites like uh, Operation Wolf and a few of the other light gun games that I haven't been able to get working so well uh, in the modern era here. If there are other light guns out there that work with PCs, let me know down in the comments below. Maybe we'll find a few and uh, start playing with those with MAME. But I thought for 100 bucks, this would be a really good MAME console if they allowed you to install it on there. But right now, it doesn't look like they're letting you do that. And now it's time for some Q&A, and our first question comes in from Jesus the Chicken from uh, Classic Game Room, one of my favorite channels. And uh, the chicken here is curious if it's easy to find replacement keyboards or other parts for some of the uh, generic PCs that we look at here on the channel. So if you go out and buy an HP Stream, for example, it's about $200, give or take, and if something goes wrong with it, uh, you've got this huge mega corporation HP that can uh, likely get that computer fixed for you two or three years down the road because they have all this infrastructure in place being a large corporation. Corporation. And uh, to some degree, the price that you pay for the computer up front uh, helps fund some of that because they have to be able to uh, fund the overhead of their operation on top of uh, the profit they want to make on the product itself. So that same computer, for example, might cost maybe $20 less from one of these Chinese brands. But the difference is that if something goes wrong with it, you'll likely never find the parts again. There's a good chance the company that made it may not be around six months after you buy it, which is why as often as I can, I often say buy those products at your own risk. They're going to work great for as long as they work, but at some point there might be an issue that will arise and uh, you're not going to be able to find a part for it down the road. A great example here would be uh, my MacBook Pro from uh, four years ago, or almost five years ago now. Uh, I need a new keyboard for it. Not too hard. I can take it into Apple, pay a lot of money, but I can get a nice new keyboard installed on it and have that computer continue to operate uh, as well as it's been doing over the last five years. The same cannot be said with a cheap computer I might buy from a Chinese company tomorrow. It probably won't be fixable uh, even three months after I get it. Uh, One of the things that I noticed here, we did a review of a Tech Last all-in-one not all that long ago, and I did a teardown video of it, and we found there was a heat sink in there from a uh, defunct PC motherboard manufacturer, and uh, that's the kind of stuff that happens. They look around, they can see what parts they can get their hands on inexpensively and try to build a computer around it, and uh, sometimes those parts are short-lived. Sometimes they're surplus parts from a bankrupted corporation, and uh, you're going to get what you get. So buy those things at your own risk. Know that you're paying a price for that, and know that when you pay more for a name brand product, it's not only the fact 
fact that you're getting the name brand product, but also uh, the long-term support down the road for replacement parts. And even if you don't get the parts directly from the company, uh, they often show up on eBay. So for example, I might be able to find that MacBook keyboard on uh, eBay for a lot less money if I really want to undertake the adventure of actually trying to fix it myself. Now, these next two comments come in from my review of the Microsoft Surface laptop. And I was talking about Windows 10 S and how you can only uh, use essentially the Edge browser on that platform because you can't install Google Chrome or Firefox through the Windows Store. And I thought perhaps that uh, Google and Firefox and many other browser makers just didn't see enough demand to port their uh, applications over to that delivery mechanism. But as it turns out, there are greater restrictions on that. Uh, so both Gormand and uh, Tim Settlemeyer here uh, both wrote in with some of, a little bit more uh, detail on this. And it looks like if you are going to have a web browser in the Windows Store, it must use Microsoft's own HTML and JavaScript engines, uh, not your own code. And this is a very similar restriction to what iOS has. So for example, uh, Google Chrome on the iPhone and iPad actually runs with uh, Apple's engine, but they put uh, some of the Google Chrome features around it, namely syncing up bookmarks and some of the other uh, history uh, browsing features that you can you know, interchange with your desktop version. But the browser engine itself is not Google's, it's actually Apple's. And uh, here it looks like Microsoft is imposing the same restrictions on that. So it's likely if you are running Windows 10 S, uh, you will probably never be able to get Firefox or Chrome unless they can uh, get enough of a user base to justify those two operations making their uh, own wrappers essentially around Microsoft's engine on there. They would have never gotten away with this back in the 90s when they were under fire for uh, integrating Internet Explorer into Windows 95 and 98. But uh, now times are different and Apple's been doing it. They've been able to do it for a long time and Microsoft wants to now uh, control the entire stack including the uh, browsing engine just like Apple is currently doing. Uh, so very intriguing and we'll see where this goes. But in the meantime, I think a lot of folks are going to be a bit stressed out over Windows 10 S and trying to get their apps installed on it. And I think for a lot of folks, they'll just disable that feature almost right away as we demonstrated in that review. Now this next Q&A is actually some of the responses that I got to my GPD Pocket review. Now I'll be honest with you, when I first heard about this little laptop, I was not really interested in it. It didn't really fill any uh, needs that I had for my computing life here. But so many of you wrote in asking me to review this thing that I did go in and contribute to their Indiegogo campaign just so I could get one when it came out to review because I figured, hey, if there's enough people writing in about this, this will probably be a popular video. And guess what? It has been so far. Uh, what's also been interesting, though, is the response that I got to the review uh, after it was posted. So if you look on the left-hand side of your screen here, you can see uh, many critical uh, comments in the comment thread. And on the right-hand side of the screen, uh, many people very excited for a computer of this platform. And I think this really speaks to uh, how easy or somewhat easy it is now to find markets for niche hardware these days. This is kind of a niche device. It's not a traditional laptop. A lot of people find this very interesting and worth uh, spending their money on. Other folks can't see a use for it at all. And maybe uh, 15 years ago, this would never have gotten produced. But now with crowdfunding and the ability to uh, gain an audience or gain a customer base very quickly for a concept, you can make it happen. And uh, there is just a lot of interest in this from a very specific uh, group of computing users. $3.4 million raised for this thing. I'm sure this far exceeded uh, their expectations as well. So they're able to bring this to market and basically subsidize the R&D and all the development costs by uh, the Indiegogo campaigns. So I'm sure they're ending up probably ahead on profit perhaps, but uh, even at a point where they don't have to take a lot of risk in bringing this out because they know there's a customer base for it. And this is where crowdfunding can really work when you have a company that 
uh, can actually pull off what it uh, is claiming it can do. And they've really done, minus the Linux issues you ran into it here, uh, pretty, a pretty exceptional job of making this concept work in a uh, form factor that is really nice. Now, another example of niche hardware is uh, my favorite retro game console at the moment, which is my uh, analog NT Mini that I paid a small fortune for. I think I paid about $400 for this thing. But uh, this thing, as you know, I've talked about this quite a bit on the channel, runs uh, my old NES games in uh, a very accurate form of replication called an FPGA chip, which allows it to replicate the original hardware of the NES. And then uh, the creator of the firmware of this device uh, did some jailbreaking on it to allow me to run other 8-bit uh, consoles on it also. Is there a mass market appeal for a $400 uh, game player that can run all of your old 80s games? Probably not, but there's enough of a market that uh, they can sell these at the price they're selling them for and uh, find buyers like myself eager to uh, relive the past on their HD television in the most accurate way possible. And I am uh, very, very pleased with this thing and play with it quite a bit whenever I have some time. So uh, that is kind of an example as to where things are at. And it's kind of an exciting time because if there are a small group of people willing to pay for something, you can gather them all up and make it a financially viable option. And I think that is what this product really is. It's not going to appeal to everybody. It wouldn't be made perhaps by Lenovo who needs to um, get a mass market uh, appeal for its products. But uh, for GPD, who's found the real niche here making niche products, this works really well. And also of interest, a lot of people wrote in to say the GPD win, the game playing version of uh, this hardware essentially was appealing to them, whereas this was not. So again, you can see where they're going. And I think they are probably among uh, the most innovative company out there doing this kind of stuff. And I've been impressed that they've been able to deliver on just about every device that I've seen them put out over the last two years. And that is saying something, especially in this day and age of uh, terrible Kickstarters. So there is some hope out there for crowdfunding. And uh, the GPD pocket here, I think, does uh, meet that threshold, even if it's not something you're interested in buying. So Q&A for you this week. What kind of niche hardware is out there that I haven't seen yet that I should be looking at? So definitely leave me a note down below of any unique gadgets that uh, might be of interest to uh, a broader audience, perhaps, or maybe a subset. I'm always looking for this kind of stuff because a lot of you really found this interesting, even if you didn't want to buy one. And I always am on the lookout for cool stuff. So this week, our channel of the week is also something I stumbled across this week. This is called uh, Death Wears Bunny Slippers. And uh, this guy bought himself a Titan II missile silo. There's a bunch of these out uh, in the, uh, the United States here, and they've been decommissioned. And you can buy one and actually move into it if you want to. And they are huge. They're underground complexes that had uh, missile silos for ICBMs along with a launch control center. They are uh, literally bomb-proof, nuclear bomb-proof. They were designed to take a almost direct hit or perhaps a direct hit from a nuclear bomb and keep operating. And this guy has been detailing his uh, project here trying to uh, renovate his missile silo. Unfortunately, he had a pretty big flood in there, so he's got a real uh, mess on his hands trying to get this place cleaned out, but he's making progress as he goes, and uh, I thought it was kind of a neat thing to uh, see somebody buy one of these silos and uh, have to really work around some extreme challenges to try to bring it up to par. He's been working on it now for two years or so. He's getting there, uh, so definitely check it out if you have an interest in that kind of thing. So this week on the channel, we've got a couple of things going on. So I've already shot this video. I just have to edit it. Uh, the EverDrive N8 flash cartridge for the NES. A nice device if you are looking for this kind of thing. It actually is very useful uh, with the analog NT Mini, although I don't believe it works with the original analog that ran on original Nintendo hardware. It does seem to be working fine on my Mini. And what it is is a flash cartridge to run all of your old NES games, but it also has some save state features that allow you to save your position in a game and come back to it later. I'll demo how that works in that video. 
We're also going to have a look at the 8-bit HD NES clone console, kind of an NES-heavy week. I already shot this one as well. This is kind of an alternative to that uh, Hyperkin device we looked at about two weeks ago. Uh, this one is $29 with two controllers, also outputs at 720p, so it's about $10 less than the Hyperkin uh, which comes with a single controller, uh, both, again, output via 720p HD or connect to a composite uh, television, the old-fashioned RCA connectors and CRT TVs. And we're also going to take a look at a new solid-state drive from WD. This is another example of that merger they had with SanDisk. They're now starting to make uh, some WD-branded products now with uh, solid-state memory, which they really weren't doing before that acquisition. This one is a, another little portable SSD. I love these things, and I always like to get uh, reviews of these up, so we'll have some uh, look at that. Uh, we're also going to hopefully take a look at that jumper computer I unboxed earlier in the week and start running through some tests on it. It really looks and feels a lot like a uh, MacBook Air, but costs only about $300 or less, depending on what sales are going on. So we'll be looking at that one. And if I am able to get all my stuff uh, worked out in the studio here, going to get caught up and cleaned up, I'm going to try to get that big printer I got in the other day, which is the uh, page-wide inkjet printer from HP. And again, I I get excited about printers for some reason, especially printers that work with technology that I haven't really played with before. Uh, this one is using a uh, technology, instead of using a head that goes across the page, it actually sprays ink directly on the paper, so it's a lot faster. In fact, it's like laser fast with the uh, color clarity that you'll get from an inkjet printer. So really cool stuff, and we'll be hopefully looking at this one uh, this week or next week at the latest. And if you want to help the channel, you can. You can go to lon.tv slash Patreon and make a monthly contribution to the channel. We also have a tip jar set up at lon.tv slash tipjar for a one-time contribution. And if you're outside the U.S. or just like Venmo, you can give via Venmo at lon at lon.tv. And I greatly appreciate any help you can provide. Our Plex thing is still going on, where if you sign up for a free uh, Plex subscription with no credit card, we get a small commission for that. You can also gift a Plex Pass subscription to somebody else at lon.tv slash plexgift for a commission to find its way to the channel as well. To engage with the channel, you can go to my Extras channel where I do a lot of unboxings and some other supplementary content. Higher posting frequency, less editing. I shoot most of it with my phone, but it's done in the course of my product evaluation, and a lot of people have found it to be a fun place to visit, so uh, subscribe there. Uh, Lon.tv slash email for my email list. Lon.tv slash Facebook for the Facebook page. Lon.tv slash store for the store where I sell a lot of the used items that I review here on the channel. I just put that Microsoft Surface book up there at a discount, so you can get uh, that very laptop for 100 bucks off so definitely check it out if you are in the market for it same warranty and all that good stuff our store alert is now up at lon.tv slash store alert so if you are looking for when i post new things to the store uh, definitely uh, hit that address up there and sign up for my alerts i send them out anytime i make a change there our live streams are archived at lon.tv slash live streams. I hope to get to one very shortly, so be on the lookout for that. And the podcast, which consists of interviews that I do along with this very wrap-up that I do every week, can be found at these addresses down below. And it should be on just about every major podcasting app that is out there. If I'm not on your favorite app, let me know, and I will make sure it gets over to that. And that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap-up. Thank you all again for your uh, support and help along the way here. I think this one is shorter than last week's, but I won't know until I finish all the editing. But I'm definitely sure I uh, made a shorter one this time. So thank you all for your support. Keep on watching. Got a lot more stuff to come this week. And definitely keep those product suggestions coming as well. This is Lon Seidman. Thanks for watching. This channel is brought to you by my Patreon supporters, including Gold Level supporters Mark Bollinger and Cody Falk. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month. 
Head over to lon.tv slash Patreon to learn more. And don't forget to subscribe. Visit lon.tv slash s.